WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's now just before 9 o'clock and time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary no- Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning, and we appreciate you tuning in today. Thanks so much for joining us here on We Are Just Christians. We are looking forward to being with you for the next hour or so here on the show and we hope that you can stay with us for that time we'll be on live and we of course we take your calls comments and questions i guess that's kind of the point of a live show isn't it gary yeah i would to do that so. and we we really appreciate if you'll join join us today and that i'll give you the numbers how to get a hold of us here in just a moment but we are just christians is a show about new testament christianity and being just a Christian here in the 21st century based on the teachings of the Bible. And we, we believe that the Bible is relevant. It's always been relevant to the things around us. And we follow the New Testament pattern in all things here at the church and in our personal lives. At least we try to do that. And that's what we're encouraging you to do. So if you call into the show for on whatever topic that you call in on or whatever thing that's bothering you or you want to get off your chest, we don't mind mind that at all. Uh, we're going to try to point you to the scriptures. We're going to try to point you to uh, something in the Bible that can help you to to know more what to do according to God's will. And so that's what this show is about. We are just Christians. We don't claim to be part of some denomination. We're not hooked in here at the Church of Christ on Savannah Boulevard with some national organization, some international organization. We don't answer to anybody else but to Jesus Christ for the things we do and practice here because we think that's the way it was in New Testament times. That's what the pattern of the New Testament shows. It doesn't show these hierarchies and, and uh, uh, associations and synods and all that kind of stuff. And that's where people run into trouble. It's a breeding ground for, for pride most of the time, breeding ground for large, uh, large bureaucracies telling other people what to do and losing track sometimes of what the real purpose of the church is, which is, which is to save the lost and to teach people about Jesus Christ. And so we're going to practice the structures and organizations and mannerisms, and hopefully we're going to try to live the personal kind of personal lives that the Bible instructs. And so when you call into the show, we are going to point you in that direction. That's the object of what we're doing. We're going to point you in the direction that Jesus spoke and told us that we should be doing. Basically, I think, uh, Mike, obedience is forgotten a lot in the world today, that uh, Jesus taught a lot of things. And the moral va- the moral values he taught were of the highest standards. Exactly. And we need to look to that. As a matter of fact, this verse I keep going back to, everybody's going to get tired of this from me, is John 12 and 48. Jesus himself says, he who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So when we all stand before God, to give account of the things done in our bodies, the ju- the word that Jesus spoke is going to be the standard of judgment. Exactly. And that's why reading and understanding what Jesus said and what the Bible says is so important. Now, I can't over... I, I don't know, Mike. I just don't, don't think I can overemphasize that. Well, I, I think that's right. And, of course, now, Gary, you're getting off. I did a sermon a couple weeks ago on uh, some words that the world hates. And uh, I didn't. I don't know if I, I think I put that word judgment in there. I didn't, there was ten of them, and, and I didn't 
I decided not to pursue a long, lengthy series. I covered most of what I wanted to say in two lessons, which you can get on our on our website, wearejustchristians.com. But judgment is one of those one of those words, isn't it? That people, yes. people do not like. Uh, they don't want any any kind of um, any kind of boundary on what they think and do at all. And of course, uh, what they they and then what happens is they erect their own boundaries on other people. Some of the people that complain about Christianity being judgmental are some of the most judgmental people that I know with respect to what you eat and the environment and, and their own sexual mores, other people's attitudes and, and so forth. They're the most, some of those judgmental people I know because it's what humans do. Well, let me give you the numbers. We're going to get into the to- some topics here. Let me, I almost forgot to give you the numbers. You, you can reach We Are Just Christians here in Port St. Lucie uh, this morning at uh, 772-340-1590, 772-340-1590. I think that's the regular call-in number for WPSL, and you're certainly uh, welcome to call us on that. We'd love to hear from you. And here's a couple of ground rules. We don't have too many. You can bring up whatever subject you'd like. Uh, of course, if you're using profanity or something like that, Ray's got a button there to knock you out, uh, just get you off the air. But uh, in any event, um, we, we, can, we believe you can, if, even if you vehemently disagree with us, what I'm trying to say, Gary, is you can disagree with us strongly. Just don't use vulgarities on the air. We don't really have any, any problem with that, but just have to warn you about that. Secondly, uh, we're going to give you the last word in any conversation. We want to have a conversation, and if you disagree or you got something else you want to say, we're always going to give you, uh, if possible, the last word on that so that you don't feel like we're just trying to get you to call in and bait you and make you look bad or something like that. We have no intention of doing that whatsoever. Um, but you call in, and we'd be glad to talk with you about whatever subject is on your mind. And then we're going to give you the last word. So I hope you feel free to do that. If you've got a complaint about Christianity, or we, we'd love to hear from unbelievers or from people who are skeptics, people who are agnostics. We'd love to hear from you, and, and we promise we're not going to mistreat you on the air. We might challenge you. You can challenge us, and, you know, wherever that might be, wherever that might go. If we don't know the answer, we'll try to find the answer to your question if we possibly can. If we can, we're going to give you Bible references, things you can look up in the Bible to, to verify or that you can have confidence in one way or the other, and um, hopefully you'll be able to do that. Now, so you can reach us, 772-340-1590. We also have two text numbers here. Gary and I each have a cell phone with a text number, and you're welcome to text us, not only during the show today, but also during the week. Uh, My number, Mike's number, is 772-260-6120. 772-260-6120 is my number. And Gary's number is 772-260-6220, 772-260-6220. And, of course, we do email. We don't get as many emails uh, uh, since we've been doing, doing text, but we'd be glad to have you, have you email us if you want to do, do something a little bit longer and communicate with us privately or something for the show. The email is justchristians at att.net, justchristians at att.net. Now, I'm going to give you some other information a little bit later as to how you can listen to the show, um, you know, besides live on the air like you probably do. 
Uh, we can give you some ways your friends can listen. We'd like you to recommend that. And other ways you can get you can get to us um, if you're in your car or you know whatever the case may be. Don't have an AM radio around the house. You can get, get and we'll give you that information a little bit later on. Well, Gary, you said that you had some things and then you lost yeah, them. Did lost you find them. what you have there no, or something to I talk about? I didn't find it. It's 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 still missing. I'm going to have to go home and get my backup and see if I can find it. Okay. It's, well, I got a it's still it's still in limbo, but I want I wanted to point out one other thing. You talked about the sermon that you were doing of words that the world hates, and uh, I didn't remember all of the words that were there. I think you went through a list and then talked about a couple of particular ones. But in Hebrews five and nine, basically it says of Jesus, he became the author, he Jesus became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Obey is another word that I think the world has. Yes. I, let me see if I can find those notes here. I'm sure I've got them right handy if I can grab it. Uh, some words for you to... Well, my iPhone's been transcribing everything I've said, Gary. It's weird. I don't know how I did that. <laughs> I had a little beep here on my phone, and it turns out I must have pushed the wrong button and transcribing everything uh, for me. But uh, those words, where are those words here? Hang on. Got it right in front of me. I had truth was the main one, and I think we covered a lot of ground when we started talking about truth, truth right? And, that word uh, is truth. Yes. Uh, we the idea that well the idea that you can even have some kind of a truth out there. The world does says you have your truth, I have my truth, but neither one of us can ever have the truth. Well, I have fornication was one. Got something right in front of me here about fornication. Uh, that's a word the world hates. We don't even like to call it that. We went to the premarital sex, um, which is pre premarital sex is kind of odd because it presupposes that people are having sex while they're engaged before they get married. That's a very small subset of people who are having sex today, right, who probably shouldn't <laughs> be, that they're going to get married anytime soon, so they slip up and have sex before that, that, that wedding day. It should be non-marital sex, probably, is more right. accurate, non-marital sex. But repentance, there's a big word that the Bible uses frequently, but our culture hates the idea of repentance. We want self-actualization. We want to come to we want to come to find ourselves and know ourselves rather than to repent of our sins and turn toward God. We want to make sure that we can keep our selfhood and kind of make sure that our ideas are what's really out there. Modesty in dress and speech and manner. Oh yeah. Appropriateness, what is right, what is good in, in every situation, um, in clothing and all kind of other things. Hell, how about that word? Yeah, a, and you'll never that, guess. That's not a good word. Right, and you'll never guess who spoke that word or spoke of that more often than anyone else in the New Testament. Well, in the whole Bible, it's Jesus Christ. Right. People say they don't believe in hell. People will, 80-some percent of people said they believe in heaven, and something like 40% of the people said they believe in hell. Well, like you just said, Jesus is the one who talks about hell. Yes. But it's a very unpopular word. And then we have these concepts like, well, hell is what happens here on earth if you live in, you know, Bangladesh or something like that, but whatever whatever the poor country of the day is, used to be Ethiopia and then it was Bangladesh and Calcutta and you know all whatever, whatever it is today. But oh, that's hell on earth, you know. No, hell is something different than what happens on earth. I think I had a sermon a few months ago. Can't think of the name of it now. Something like it'll be worth it. In, the, in that sermon, I made the point, Gary, and I think it's correct. I got this from somebody else. Don't remember who. 
So I'll claim it as an original idea. That's a secret of originality, just forgetting where you learned got something. But oh, that's the secret of having a bad memory. <laughs> yeah, forget where you got it. The the um, for Christians, the worst things that are ever going to happen to you are going to happen to you here on Earth. Whatever bad situation you may be living in right now, and boy, there's some bad ones out there that we run into. This is as bad. That's as just that. as bad as it's ever going to get for you if you're a believer and a Christian. If you're an unbeliever, this earth is as good as it's ever going to be. This is the best you're ever going to have it. Because when, if, you don't, if you don't trust the Lord and if you're not saved by the blood of Jesus Christ, then hell awaits. And it's the worst that you can imagine. It no, is separation from God. No, it's worse than you can imagine. What I say? I don't know what I said, but it's, it's, w- worse, it's worse than you can imagine. It's worse than you can imagine, yes. meaning there you... It's beyond your comprehension right. of how bad it's going because to be. what hell is is separation from God and everything that's good and right and true and just and beautiful and kind and all that separate. You're all you're, nobody on earth is completely separated from that altogether. Uh, authority is a word people hate. Uh, just having to submit to any authority or people having authority. Sin. Nobody has a sin anymore. They're all they all have syndromes. Right. No sin, but syndromes. And so, therefore, sin has been removed. Salvation. Look, you can't be saved until you're willing to be lost. And so, if you're not under, if you can't ever come to some understanding that without the Lord, you're lost, or your situation you find yourself in is, is a condition of being lost, um, there's no way that you can be saved. Well, basically, I've, now that you've touched on it, that was part of what I had planned to bring up, but it's at home somewhere. You, yeah, you yeah. cannot saved be saved. From what? Until you realize you are lost. Yes, and, and then what people today, we're so self-confident about everything, so sure that we got the right idea that no, nobody's really lost. And Everybody is sick psychologically or depressed, whatever words we're using, but anxious, but we're never lost. And then there's, uh, then there's self-control. That may be the biggest one on the list, right, self-control. But uh, that, that's, that's part of it, self-control. Learning to have self-control, and that is, well, that's the struggle for every person. Um, I've baptized people into Christ, Gary, that at the time that they were baptized, they didn't have much self-control. That's why they felt lost. That's why they were lost, because their life had spiraled into all kinds of sin, and it led to very much a grievous unhappiness, and they did not have self-control. One of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians chapter 5 is self-control. So self-control is something that can come to you over time in Christ. Well, it seems As like you come I, to understand your passions and then know what to do about them. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Paul was teaching one of the Roman rulers something about uh, Christianity, and they talked about self-control, and it seemed to be about that time that he decided not to talk anymore. Right. Um, I forget who Agrippa. that was. Let me look this up. And, you know, I, I guess maybe I mentioned this last week. I've changed computers. And, uh, well, it, I just got to – I went from an antique Macintosh to a new Macintosh. So uh, – but I lost a couple of my most basic um, – my most, most used and basic programs that I've been – that's one reason I never switched before that I've been using for 15 or 20 years. And uh, – <laughs> It's not been good as trying to, as far as trying to get everything uh, together. 
in the book of Acts. Let's see if I, yes, it's Acts 24. I couldn't look at the chapter quickly. Um, I couldn't remember where it was, but I, I remember the situation. Felix came, that, one of the rulers of the Roman and Jewish ruler. He came with his wife, Drusilla. Now, if you look up Felix as the governor of Judea and Drusilla, especially Drusilla, if you look them up on Wikipedia or any Bible dictionary, you will see that these were some of the worst people ever in the ancient world. They they were just brutal and wanton, lascivious in, in every way. They were murderers, had no problem getting rid of people around them that they, were their, that they thought were their enemies. They could have been one of the uh, one of the dictators of Russia for all they, they did, you know. Yeah. Putin, people like that. That they were pretty bad people, especially Drusilla. She was a Jewess too. They sent for Paul. It says in, Act, in verse 24 of Acts 24. And they heard him concerning the faith in Christ. Now, as he reasoned, it says, about righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid or began to tremble and answered, Go away for now, for when I have a convenient time, I will call for you. Meanwhile, he hoped that money would be given by Paul that he might release him. Therefore, he sent him for him more often and conversed with him. So this man kept sending for Paul and kept uh, trying to talk to him, hoping he would get a bribe and then he could... He would release him. But he didn't want to hear about self-control. Yeah, yes. He, he trembled when he spoke about the judgment to come. There's one of those other words about righteousness and, and self-control. This man understood that he was guilty, but he didn't do anything about it. It's one thing to convince people that they're guilty of, of a sin or wrong, Gary. It's quite another to bring a person to repentance, isn't it? Yes, it is. That, that's the difficult thing. And it's difficult for all of us to actually turn from what may, by the time we get, realize it's a problem, it may be ingrained in us. You know, m murder doesn't happen overnight. You don't instantly become a murderer. Jesus says murders come from the heart. So there's something brewing in the heart for a long time that leads you to the point where you might commit murder. But whatever it is, usually when you talk about these kinds of sin that we need self-control over, it's something that's been a habitual problem for us. It's deeply ingrained in our response mechanisms that when we're anxious or happy or nervous or afraid, we do certain things and sin in certain ways. It, we've, we've, we develop habits around that. And to ha learn to have self-control when those things happen is something that's a, it's a major difficulty for most people, including myself. And I'm sure... Without speaking for him, I'm sure it is for Gary too. And when you, be, but once you can come through the scriptures to understand what's in your heart, and the Holy Spirit through the Word reveals it by the book, book of James, chapter one says that we look into the perfect law of liberty as in a mirror. I'm paraphrasing it there. We're looking into God's Word, and the trouble with God's Word is it isn't just a book of poetry, or it isn't just a book of quotations that you want to hang on your refrigerator. It's much different than that kind of a book that you read. It, it shows us what humans are like and what we are like, and it becomes a reflection. It, it's a mirror that reflects who we are. But all, it and also, that's, pretty, it all, that's pretty disturbing. Right. Go ahead. It also basically gives us the, the highest moral standard to live to and tells us that basically there is a reward at the end for living that standard to God, to God's standard. Yes. And basically the opposite of that reward is also there. 
And it's pretty terrifying when right. you stop to think of it. Well, God's Christ. righteous. He's not going to keep in his presence permanently that which is wicked and unrighteous and rebellious. Because in the long run, sin, self, self-will is just a rebellion against your own nature's rebellion against God, the well, God who created you. Actually, that was the, the title of the thing that I had that's missing this morning that we can't go to was, was all about humility. Oh, okay. And, well, how, and how important humility is to understanding that we need God and we need to be saved. Well, that's the next subject I had here, subjection. The next subject. Well, of the, that's let's a, go back to truth. T- ten things the world hates. Yeah. Let's go back to truth for just a minute because there's an interesting verse that I would like for our uh, listeners to maybe jot down or underline, whatever. And it's in John 17 and it's verse 17. And, and this was interesting to me, Mike. It says, sanctify them by your truth, talking about God. Your word is truth. So whether or not you think you have an individual truth or not, uh, God is telling you that it's his truth that will sanctify you and not your own. Whether, whatever your view of truth is, it all comes back to God. Right. He has a truth, and that's the truth that's important, whether you believe there's only one or not. Personally, I believe there's only one, but if you think there's more than one, it's God's truth that matters. Right, and that's exactly right. We, a couple of texts came in, one of them from Ray back there at the station when I was talking about my phone recording me. He said, well, that's why they call it a smarty phone. <laughs> yes, some people, well, I tell people, Ray, is smart people can use a dumb phone, but dumb people need a smartphone, and uh, that's how that works. But, yeah, my phone sometimes is smarter than me uh, occasionally. And then John says about uh, hell, I think, he texts it in, that the Jews believed in Sheol or, or the pit, and, and, and then he asks, save from what, which is a question we tried to talk about, save from, save from separation from God. And that's what it, that's what it boils down to. Now, um, well, I don't really didn't really plan on doing a whole big, whole big show about hell, but the 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 word Sheol being saved from that, the Jews used that idea of Sheol at least in a couple of different ways in the Old Testament. It's a Hebrew word, and in the New Testament it comes in to into some verses as hell. Sheol really just meant the pit. It meant going down into yeah. the pit, which was the grave, and and so forth. And, um, of course, that came to represent hell in this, where the wicked are. In the New Testament, Sheol represents the grave or death, the place where the dead go. And it has two places or two compartments, as it were. We find in Luke 16, it has paradise where Jesus went when he died, where, the, where Lazarus went, according to the story in Luke 16, when he died where Abraham is comforting them. And then it has the other side of this great, on the other side of that great gulf was Hades or a place of torment where the wicked go. And we find the rich man was there, for example, in the, in the story in Luke 16. I don't know if I said parable. I didn't mean to. It's not a parable. It's a story. It's a story. It's told it's, about it's, it's real not, people. It's not opened up as a and parable. And so it doesn't, doesn't present itself as a parable. But in any event, there's a lot of information in that, in that story we've talked about before on this show. But, but it's pictured as a place of eternal separation from God. Now, there's a lot of different opinions. When Jesus talks about hell, that don't fear him who can, 
can kill your body, but Matthew 10, but fear him who can cast both body and soul into hell. There's another word that's used. It's, it's uh, Gehenna. It isn't just the place of the dead. Gehenna is that eternal hell that's still, that's still out there for the, for the wicked, where they're permanently separated from God. Jesus said it's a place prepared for the devil and his angels and says we can end up there if we continue to rebel against God and do not, are not saved by the blood of Christ. And he pictures it as a place of darkness and yet an eternal fire. He pictures worms not die, eating and not dying. He pictures uh, other kinds of torment that are there. I'm leaving out some of this because I don't have it right in front of me. And so some have said over the years, oh, this sounds terrible that God just enjoys just throwing people into hell. No, this is, a, this is the last resort. This is the last place God wants you to be. He desires all men to be saved, Second Peter, and come to a knowledge of the truth, Second Peter 3. He doesn't want anybody to end up here. But this is where we end up when, C.S. Lewis, I, I've come to think that this is probably the best way to conceive of what uh, hell is or what Jesus is trying to say by these, well, I'll call them figures of speech, although I believe that they're real. They, they're, they're, they're words that are spoken of as if for people that are living in a physical dimension. And yet I believe the words probably are more applicable to a spiritual dimension, which we cannot conceive of. And that is, he says, uh, when he says, you know, the worm dieth not. And, and you have the opposite imagery with heaven of streets of gold and gates of pearl and all this. I don't believe there's actual, the element gold is there in or heaven pearl. or pearls per se. He's conveying another idea with that right. imagery. He's conveying the idea of beauty and value. Right. And I don't say, and that don't, don't say, well, Mike doesn't believe in heaven or hell. No, I do. I don't believe that those are probably physical things that are being discussed, but more likely... That's, that is a, a spiritual kind of imagery that's being put forth. And let me tell you, whether you, whether you say it's real or not, whether you think it's earthly or not, it's obviously presented as a place we don't want to end up. In fact, when you have the account of Luke 16, you see that when the rich man found himself there, he begged Abraham to let Lazarus go back and warn his brothers because his brothers are, gonna, are living the same way he did. And he says, I don't want them to come here. Don't. Tell them not to come here. Do something different with your life because it was such a horrible place. And that, is, that wasn't even the final place of punishment. So what C.S. Lewis, I got off track here, what C.S. Lewis says about that is that hell is, all the hell is, is God giving you what you want. When you finally, in the end, tell God enough times and live this way, to tell God, mind his own business, I'm going to live what, I'm going to do what I want, God finally says, okay, I'll give you what you want. I'll leave you alone. We may think we want God to leave us alone. But what the Bible says, Gary, we do not want God to leave us alone at all because he then separates you from himself eternally. And there, there is, then there is nothing good coming from his presence to help you at all in any way. And this is how it's pictured in the Bible. Well, it's not pictured as a place of just, and we got a caller, but it's not pictured in such a way as to say, well, you just kind of, when you die, you just go out of existence. No, you continue to exist. Well, it's interesting. He says, uh, fear the one who can cast both body and soul. 
in him. Into hell. Yes, that's exactly right. That that's an interesting line yeah, and there. We could go go on we, for shows. Yes, there's another that. whole couple more shows. We're just kind of skimming across the top, skipping a rock across the top of the surface here. Well, let's take the call from Ken. Are you there, Ken? Yeah, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. What's on your mind? Can you hear me okay? I can. Okay. It'll uh, probably break up any second, but go ahead. Gehenna is a place. It's a place where they did sacrificing of children. Yes. The etymology of that word it's is... Yeah, it's, I think I'm losing. Yeah, Start over again, him. Ken. Uh, Gehenna is a place in, in Jerusalem Valley where they sacrifice children. Yes, the Valley of Hinnom, which was um, just uh, on one of the on one of the, on one of the valleys surrounding Jerusalem, you have uh, you have this picture of Gehenna, Hinnom, and apparently it's where the, uh, during the uh, last Judean kingdom they sacrificed children or they uh, and so forth. And being an, a place of refuge, so then after, I'm sorry, I'm not able to talk this morning. I guess I better try to get my act together. Uh, since it, it was during the time of the last Judean kingdom, a place where they had offered up sacrifices to foreign gods, by the time of Christ, it had become a dump. Yeah, my understanding, it was a dump. Literally, at, the garbage. At the time of Christ, it was a dump, and the, here's the garbage is on fire, and you see this around our dumps. They got pipes sticking out of the ground, all that trash is rotting, and it's, we got flames lit. Well, this is what that valley was like, and so that became the image to the Jews of hell. Is this what you're getting at, Ken, or am I close? Yeah, it, well, it's interesting that the place where they sacrifice children is what they refer to as hell. Yes. Yeah, that word is. Um, go ahead. No, I think I'm I'm cutting you off, and I don't mean to. So go ahead. Uh, okay, I wanted to ask you about. Uh, do you know what the inscription on the Liberty Bell is? You know, Ken, I'm ashamed to say I've forgotten. I I stood in front of the Liberty Bell probably 10 years ago, first time I ever saw it, waited in this long line, got up there to the Liberty Bell, and stood there and cried like a baby when I saw that bell. But I can't remember what was written on it. What was written on it? It proclaimed liberty throughout all the land unto all the inhabitants thereof. Yes. It's a quotation from... Uh, 25.10. Yes, Leviticus 25.10. Proclaim liberty throughout all the land to its inhabitants. That's right. So um, the rest of of that verse, let me give you the context. It's talking about the year of Jubilee. Where all the slaves were set free. Yeah, they counted seven seven Sabbaths of years, 49 years, and then the 50th year was a year of Jubilee. And on the Day of Atonement, they they consecrated this and proclaimed liberty of setting all the captives free. All the land reverted to its original owners. 
and so forth. Debts were forgiven. Yeah. Same kind of uh, mathematics that they use with Pentecost, I believe. Yes. Yes, it was 50 cents. So are, what are, what's your connection with this here, Ken? Okay. Um, uh, this was put on the Liberty Bell by abolitionists, Republicans. Republican abolitionists put this on the Liberty Bell? Yep. So it wasn't on the original bell? Well, uh, I don't know when they put it on. I don't know exactly when they oh, put it okay. on. But yeah, yeah, they, they I didn't want, know that part. I'm going to have to look that up. I, I, I thought this was the bell that was wrong uh, at Independence in 1776, if I'm not mistaken. And um, I didn't know that. I always thought that that was written on there initially. I got to look this up. That's interesting. So it's setting free of the captives. And you're saying it was an abolitionist statement. And of course, the abolitionists were almost 100% Republicans. It's odd how people's perceptions of things change, isn't it? Uh, and uh, the ones who most opposed the Civil Rights Acts of 64 and so forth, and even back in, even back in Lincoln's day, were Democrats. But uh, people forget their history. Well, it's like this kid. I saw something the other day. You know, uh, I, I was, I'm old enough to remember the 1960s, as I'm sure you are. And uh, it's funny because for years and years, hippies were protesting against leftists and so forth, were protesting against the war in Vietnam, which was essentially entered into by John F. Kennedy and expanded greatly, a Democrat, expanded greatly by Lyndon Johnson, a Democrat. And people were wanting peace. In 1968, Richard Nixon ran on the platform of ending the Vietnam War. He ran, that was his platform in 1968. And he did end it. And he did end it. But as soon as, but in the Democratic convention that year, and even and after Nixon was was inaugurated, there were leftist demonstrations all over the country against Nixon because he was a Republican, even though he was had run on an anti-war platform, and did end the Vietnam War. Maybe you shouldn't have. You can agree or disagree. But it's, the history's all mixed up now. So young people think that Nixon started the Vietnam War and Nixon kept it going and it was the Democrats who ended it. It's completely opposite of what actually happened at that time. And sometimes people's perceptions of what happens in history is tainted by, by as I say, the victors, you know, write the history. Well, the there, there is history. A, there's a true saying, the victors write the history books. Yes. And uh, a lot of things about the Civil War and what went on there are also misconceptions, too. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's one of those things we have to live with. Yes. Hey, Ken, let me ask you something, because I can hear you pretty well today. You on the speakerphone, or you, you just got it in your ear? No, I'm on the speakerphone, but I'm you keeping are. distance from it. Well, it's working good today. I'm good, because a couple times I remember you calling in the past, we had trouble, and I still talk over you because I forget about this delay I talked about earlier in the in the songs. So, so what is your point about then the Liberty Bell? If you have another point that I'm missing, I think uh, I'm missing. I, I just I just want to tell you how I feel about this election. About this election? Yeah. Okay, go ahead. Uh, up this past year, we've had a lot of monuments taken down. all over the country. Mm -hmm. But on November 3rd, 
I'm using this metaphorically. They took the Liberty Bell down. They took that monument down, huh? Yeah. Well, it, it's just it's just incredible to me uh, that so much influence. We worried about Russian influence in 2016, and in the and then we had all this influence of uh, certain big groups with lots of money, certain individuals, all kinds of other stuff went on. And uh, what I read the other day that there was there's the, the Washington was it the Washington Post or New York Times published an article basically saying it took a cabal of certain in certain things to all come together to get Trump out of office. And uh, they just essentially confirmed that it was it was a conspiracy, as it were. Uh, that's the word. And, and, and you can put in quotes if you want. But it's it's just so strange how things get all flipped around and reversed um, in people's minds as to what's happening. And I'm not going to defend – I never have defended the man, Donald Trump. I still think that his policies had a lot to be said for them with regard to New Testament Christianity as far as allowing me to speak and giving me the right to speak, which is going to be changed. I mean, Joe Biden ran on a campaign of ending that, of prohibiting people like me and probably you, Ken, from speaking out against certain moral ills that we see in society. He ran a campaign saying, I'm going to put a stop to that uh, with the Equality Act and some other things like that. So it, that's what alarms me about it. And here, here's the thing that really is problematic in, my, in, in this, Ken, to me, is that we're no longer just disagreeing over tax rates, tax policy, or whatever the case may be. We're disagreeing over fundamental life and death issues here uh, in this country today. And that means it's going to be very difficult for us to uh, stay united because we're disagreeing over these kinds of life and death issues. Well, when you look at the censorship that's going on, there's obviously a fear of free speech. And basically free speech allows people to think uh, about things in, in their own individual way and to evaluate things. And that's where we're going. We're, we're going towards a place where the government provides you with the ideas that you can believe. and you Certain can things cannot be said or believed or said or, or spoken. Right. And, you know, that's where we're headed. And, and that should scare everybody well, in this with, country. Well, we have several prominent people, not just a bunch of kooky people, several prominent people. Robert Reich and others who served in in the in the um, Car, um, Carter um, Clinton administration, others, and and then a more important one than him recently, saying that we're going to establish a truth commission. We need a truth czar in the United States to determine, you know, what can be published and what's not published. To make sure we only have truth being published. Well, I I know I I put on Facebook I nominate Joseph Goebbels for that. You know, Hitler's right-hand man who became the propaganda minister for the Nazi regime. You and couldn't did, say whatever you wanted in Nazi Germany. You, you can't say it in China, you know, uh, now because they have a truth ministry there. This is the opposite of what we need in this country. And I'm defending here, uh, those of you who disagree with what Gary and I are saying many times, or even disagree with Ken here, he, he's a caller, but uh, I'm defending your right to say what you want about things. I have no intention of trying to take away your right to say horrible, awful things about God if you want to or about me or whatever the case may be. 
we need the, we need the free exchange of ideas as human beings to keep looking for the truth in the long run, keep searching and to find out what it is. And and so uh, I know what's ha- I know what's going to happen. You, you say this is going to protect free speech, but the first people that you're going to prohibit from speaking are people like me and Gary. That's right. who you, that's who you're going to try to stop from speaking. I know I know this because of history. What's already happened in the past? Well, Joseph Goebbels was very effective in Nazi Germany. Oh, sure he was, because only one viewpoint is presented. I had some friends move down from, well, I don't even tell this story. They moved down from the northeast. I'm, never mind, Gary. I'm not going <laughs> to tell that little anecdote. We'll leave that to the time. Okay, Ken, you want to say any more about this? Yeah, I want to say, I started thinking about this. And what do you do when you start losing your freedom? And I started thinking about Joseph, the story of Joseph. Where he lost his freedom, he was sold as a slave, he was in prison, but in the end, God worked it all out for good. And I think that's going to happen with this. I think, I think in the end, God is going to make this a good thing. People are going to see how bad this is going to be, and they're going to rebel against it. They're going to see how bad it is, and they're going to rebel. Well, uh, uh, you're a little more hopeful than me. Um, I, I think that some people will see how bad things get, and some people, a minority, will repent. But do I think the whole nation as a group or as a for majority is going to um, repent? Uh, no, I, I don't think that's right. Um I don't think that's what's going to happen. Now, perhaps it will. Well, I, I don't necessarily mean that, uh, Mike. I'm not saying hope for the nation. I'm I'm saying hope for Christians. Well, yes. God, God will take this to whatever purpose he wants us to go. Well, God will, and... Uh, someone uh, I was reading the other day made a point that I needed, I had, guess I neglected in my own thinking that sometimes before God can build up, he has to tear down. And and I think that's the process that we're seeing going on right now. A lot of people's, I, I, a lot of people's idols have to be torn down. The idol of prosperity, the idol of affluence, like social acceptance. And when you, when you begin to tear those idols down in people's hearts, um, I just I just have to tell the church here from time to time that if they're expecting that in some time or another they're going to be accepted by what we call the world, those who are secular and unbelievers and general in society, um, they're expecting something that probably isn't going to happen because that's never really been true. Even the times we look back and we think, oh, this America was so much better. Well, it's still a relative thing how much better it was. Because those who stood for the truth back in, in even in my childhood weren't always universally respected, only in certain little pockets at certain times, depending on what you were saying. And so to be a Christian almost always means you have to walk and live different than the society that you're in. And so that idol of it being accepted by the public or by general society is, has to be ripped out of our hearts. The idea that in order for me to serve Christ, I have to be able to worship in a nice fancy building with no interference we got to rip that little idol out of our hearts because that's not going to be here in the future. Well, that's coming. Our grandchildren aren't going to be able to worship that way, I don't believe. That's coming. And basically, Ken, 
what it's going to mean to us is going to be, I think, very difficult. And what do we, you asked the question, what do we do? I think that answer is in Acts chapter 5, when uh, the apostles were brought before the high priest. He said, uh, saying, did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And look, you have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine and intend to bring this man's blood on us, which was the truth. That, in fact, what they did. But look at Peter's answer in verse 29. But Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey God rather than men. The God yes. of our fathers raised up Jesus, whom you murdered by hanging on a tree. Yes. And basically, Jesus, Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's going to make difficult times for Christians, right, in in, in, the, in the future. But what it does, it's, it's a refining fire that, that, that uh, gets rid of all of the inauthentic, phony Christians that gets rid of all of them. Only those who truly who truly believe and are willing to suffer are going to be left. The rest of them will go, go along with the crowd. Now, in relation to what you're saying, Ken, we had a, a text that came in to, the, to Ray at the station. It says Bob called, and he wants you to talk about humbling and saving the nation as related to the Bible. Okay. Well, a uh, couple of things about that. I, I'm, I'm immediately drawn to a verse like Second Chronicles chapter 7 uh, or so, about, about verse 12, where the Lord came to Solomon and said, I heard your prayer, and I've chosen this place when he's getting ready to do the temple. And it says, when I shut up the heaven and there is no rain, verse 13 of Second Chronicles 7, or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. My eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer made in this place. Now, we, I, we need to keep that verse in its context. And there's a couple of others like this in the Old Testament. And, but we can still learn something from it, even if we keep it in its context. The context. Israel and the United States are not the same nation. And we do not stand as the United States today, a country established on a constitution, not on the law of Moses or God-given law. We, we don't stand in the same relation to God as a nation in the United States as ancient Israel did. They were selected out from all the nations of the earth, and God, in fact, God made them a nation, for the express purpose of keeping them, as it were, until Christ would come. And he, he gave them his law explicitly and told them if they kept his law, he would bless them. Okay, and that's uh, that's different. They're, they're different. The United States is not ancient Israel. You can't go into the Old Testament and just pull out a prophetic verse from about Israel and apply it to the United States. It's not the same. Now, that doesn't mean, though, that we can't learn the principles here at stake. And maybe what is the application though? Well, God said here in ancient Israel that sometimes it was in his own way of dealing with the nation, he would cause a drought, shut up the heaven, there's no rain, or command locusts to come in, or disease, pestilence to come in. I saw one guy, Gary, posting that uh, God would send petulance in the land. <laughs> petulance and pestilence are two different things. But anyway, we have a lot of petulance in the land, but that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, it's diseases. Here we are living in the middle of this pestilence that's going around through, through the world right now. So I can see how it's easy for people to transpose this Bible verse onto our country. 
Now, do I believe if we pray that God will relieve us of this pestilence? Yes, I do believe that. But we're not, he's not going to relieve it because we're the nation of Israel, and this is a pro- prophecy. He's just telling me how he does deal with nations here and with people. And we see him doing the same thing to some of the pagan nations in the Old Testament, too, not just Israel. Right. That was one of the things I was going to point out, that basically he practiced that with the other nations, not just the nation of Israel. Right. He, he was involved in their history yeah. also. Right. And, and, and I, do, I do believe that God is involved in our history and our society. But um, he, he didn't tell the United States to keep the law of Moses and the Ten Commandments and all the other dietary laws or else he would curse them. He didn't, he's not going to curse the United States because we don't have a temple set up to offer animal sacrifices like they did in Jerusalem on the Day of Atonement. That's 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 all something separate for the for the, for Israel, but we can learn something. And so, yes, what does it mean for a nation to submit it and bow itself before God? Well, what I think it would mean, it would mean, and we have this in our founding documents, for the leaders of our nation to recognize that they that they are under the control of God Himself. And most every U.S. president, and it's probably maybe not be true of the last couple three we've had have made this very clear in their public speeches and writing that they feel under the hand of God as they as they execute their duty in this country for guidance and so forth. And that would be a start. I don't know if we have that now. I'm not sure we have had that for a while. Leaders tend to do, like Nebuchadnezzar, whatever they want to do. But we need to have leaders who at least in a very broad way, will recognize that they need to lead according to principles of morality from Jehovah himself. Well, Mike, I, and, I, and then the people need to ha- be, be generally living in that way. I think that the principle you're talking about is very well stated in Jeremiah chapter 18, beginning about verse 5. Okay. Uh, it says, uh, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel. Now, it's in context of Israel, but he uses different words here. And he's treated other nations the same way. O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look as as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck it up, to pull down, and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil... I will relent of the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and to plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good with which I said I would benefit it. Yes. That's exactly well, that's the probably a general that, principle. That's a general and, principle. And, and so, he says a nation. He says keeps going through that. And so we can. We by the way, we got a text from John saying the word Jerusalem has USA in it, so it must be a miracle. There you go. <laughs> that's the kind of thing we like. Um, the but I will say this: that it is possible for these pagan nations like Nineveh, the Assyrians, when Jonah went and preached to them, to repent. They did repent. That and what that means is. The, the leaders can ha- enact laws, both the, pre- the president is not the leader. He's a leader of the United States, along with Congress and the Supreme Court. They can enact laws that generally encourage true morality with regard to sexual matters, lying, stealing, corruption, 
integrity, all those things. They can enact laws and, and so forth and make judgments as the Supreme Court that either encourage people to move toward what God says is right or wrong, or they can do the opposite, and their rulings and their laws can move people the other way. Now, what we've seen in my lifetime is a steady steady movement away, away. with laws that move people away from what God wants, encourage Im- immoral behavior, sanction it, and sometimes even legislate it almost. For or, and certainly reward. And reward Im- immoral behavior. Now, now, that's what can be done as a nation. And I think God would bless a nation that had leaders and, and the people who generally moved toward doing what was moral and right in God's eyes. Well, we have a nation today, not unlike most of the other nations on the earth, where people from top to bottom are deceitful, selfish, lying. They don't have any integrity. And it's no wonder we can't find Prideful. leaders because Prideful. that's yeah, full of pride, self-will. These are the people of the United States today as a rule. How can we find leaders? We can, as I mentioned, we can throw all the bums out, but we're going to get more bums just like them because that's who the people are. Why is that? Because our laws and our leaders have encouraged this down through time. Now, I'm not for a law that says Muslims have to bow to Jehovah in this country and they can't be Muslims. But, but I, I'm also not in favor of a law that says we remove prayer from every public place where it is now and, and that we remove the idea that we are a nation under God. I'm not, I'm not in favor of things that remove that. And I'm not in, but I'm not in favor of forcing people that don't believe in God to worship him or any such thing. But I, am, I don't think it does us any good to move away from those things. Now, God says he'll, if, you, if we were to turn and seek his will in this, um, he would bless us. That's a general principle. I think it worked for Nineveh in the Old Testament and some of the other nations of the Old Testament that were not Israel. And it certainly works in, it worked in Israel. And I think it would be true of the United States or France or Belgium, whatever country would do this instead. Now, now the other factor here, and we're going to get back to Ken and in a second, I hope I know if he's still there or not. But in any event, yeah. the other thing that is the real bellwet, a real bell ring, you know, but the Liberty Bell. When nations begin to persecute Christians and try to stamp out the true Church of Jesus Christ, I believe that God will turn against them. Might not do it that day, that year, but He will turn against them. This is the story of the Book of Revelation. And the destruction, whether you think the book of Revelation historically was about the Jews in Jerusalem or whether it was about the Roman Empire or both. I kind of think it was about both. But either event, what was what was God going to bring judgment upon those two nations, those two groups of people for for persecuting his church? And we have the souls underneath the altar in chapter six, those beheaded for the word of God. And they were they were going to be vindicated, God said. And so when we see this increasing in places like China or even now in the United States, the kind of persecution against people who are true believers, not the phony believers who call themselves Christians and yet go out and do whatever they want to the rest of the time. Um, but the true Christians, when that, when that true church is persecuted, uh, God will not uh, sit back and do nothing about that. And so this is what is alarming now. What's going to happen is, I don't want that to happen to our country because it's bad for people all the way around. When God brings his judgment upon a nation or group of people, 
It's, it's, judgments are separations. In the Bible, judgment is a separation, a dividing. And he's going to divide people by his word. His truth divides people. And most people fall away because they don't have the courage, stability, or the right moral principles to stay firm. And so they fall away. And that can happen to you, your wife, your children, those you love. We, we, we have to be careful about wanting God to bring judgment. You remember the book of Habakkuk? Habakkuk was crying out, oh, God, how long can you let this immorality go on? How, how long? And <laughs> uh, why don't you do something? And so God says, well, I'm, I'm doing something, Habakkuk, that if it were to happen, you wouldn't believe me if I told you. And <laughs> he said, well, try me. And so God said, well, I'm bringing the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, onto Judea, and they're going to destroy it. Oh, God, you can't do that. That's unthinkable. Yeah, he, he, more or less, I told you you wouldn't believe me. Okay, so we better be careful about wishing for the judgment be of God. What you, be careful okay. what you ask for. You may get it. All right, Ken, uh, I think you're still there. I'll get back to you here, and I appreciate uh, Bob texting in about this. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, you gave me a great segue for what I was about to say. I said what you were about to say. God is beginning to separate the sheep from the goats. Yes, that's separation. And I want to comment on a verse that Jerry uh, said that reminded me of the three Hebrew children who refused to do bow down whether they were going to be burned in the fire or not. Yeah, you're talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yes. Yeah. And I think that we need, and I'm going to mention your one of your favorite verses in Revelation about who gets thrown into the uh, fiery furnace first, the ones without courage. Mm-hmm. Say, say that last sentence yeah, again. Yeah, I, I didn't get that either. I didn't catch what you said, that last sentence. Ooh, who gets thrown into the fiery furnace first, the fearful, the coward? Oh, yes. Uh-huh. Yeah. Now, so we uh, are Stand the up. fearful and the unbelieving. You're talking about Stand quoting up. the verse in Revelation there. So who's going to go into hell, as it were? By the way, the verse you re- mentioned is one of my favorite in the Old Testament. It's Daniel 3, where Nebuchadnezzar brings the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and says, why won't you bow down? I'm going to give you another chance to bow down to my image. And they said, they answered the king, it says, and said, Oh, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. We don't owe you an answer. And if if that is the case, if you're going to throw us in this fire, if we don't bow down, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us from your hand, O king. And here's the, here's the great verse. But if not, if he doesn't save us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your God's nor will we worship the gold image which you have set up. Of course, Nebuchadnezzar became full of fury. That attitude is what separates in the long run true Christians from those who are phony, because when the threat becomes severe, the weak say, okay, I'll figure out a way to do it and keep you from throwing me in the fiery furnace. Well, you, you God doesn't always save you from the fiery furnace. Right. You, you mentioned uh, basically he tests his people from time to time, and I, I go back to Zechariah 13, uh, I don't think this is particular what he was talking about, but but the, when the Messiah came, this happened. 
in Zechariah 13, beginning in about verse 8. And it shall come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die, but one-third shall be left in it. I will bring the one-third through the fire. I will refine them as silver is refined and test them as gold is tested. They will call on my name and I will answer and I will say, this is my people and each one shall say, the Lord is my God. That's what's fixing to happen to real Christians. Right. Well, we're seeing a little bit of this even in this pestilence we have going on now um, in, in that churches all over the country are having problems as it were because so many people are um, leaving and they never will come back we've got some here unfortunately and I, I just it just breaks my heart I don't mean this is a criticism of them, but we'll never they will never come back because they stayed home for, for because of the virus and they just aren't going to be here anymore that doesn't mean they can't be saved or something else, but it's not good, and it, it's indicative of something else. Well, well time we, is about gone, Gary, so one last comment. One last comment. I just want our listeners to jot down Jeremiah chapter 18, verses 7 through 10, is that principle that you talked about, about, about God dealing with nations. Uh, the people who had for the question about how does he deal with nations in general, I believe that is a, about the best statement of what he does. Okay, very good. Well, thanks for tuning in today to the show. We really appreciate it. Hope you can tune in again next week uh, to the show, to We Are Just Christians. And uh, we'd like to invite you to take a look at our website, wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. You can get recordings of these shows there as well as our sermons. Find out about the church. And we'd like to invite you to come and be with us this morning, 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. 2196 Southwest Savona at 10, 11, and 7.30 on Wednesday nights. Thanks for being with us, and may God bless you. WPSL Port St. Lucie. It's 10 o'clock time for CBS News.